love this place. You want the answer to that question? It's true. It's true. Everything you've ever wanted, everything you're ever looking for, everything you'll ever need is in Him and Him alone. You ever been there, though? Wondering about life, wondering where do I go, where do I turn, what do I get? All this stuff that they said would make that hole in my soul feel good. Everything that I thought I wanted that would make me feel good about myself or my family or where I'm going or where I'm at, everything has been a lie. I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going to tell anybody that. But to be honest with you, I felt like everything they said it would do didn't. I thought if I just had that, if I just got this, if I just got that promotion, that house, drove that car, but it didn't. And if you've been there or you know what it's like, you know, especially if you've found Jesus, that He really is what you've been looking for and the one that will satisfy your soul. We're in James chapter 4, but I always go back to the Gospels of Jesus, and every time I do, I'm still intrigued by His relationship with people. And as the gal sang this morning uh, about the woman at the well who came just simply for a drink of water and found so much more. And what I love about Jesus is He doesn't confront her, He doesn't push her, He doesn't destroy her, He just simply says, can I be really honest with you? What you've been looking for isn't in all of those relationships. It is in what I have to offer. Doesn't put her down, doesn't condemn her. He just simply invites her into a relationship. And once she embraces that and realizes that she was trying to find love and life and all of those things and found it in Jesus, she couldn't wait to tell the story and couldn't wait to share it, which is the essence of our relationship with God. God does not want us in a relationship for what He gives. He wants us in a relationship for who He is, although He gives it all. There are a lot of people that come to Christ and come to God because they want forgiveness for their sins, and they want eternal life, which are incredible things because you do want forgiveness for your sins, and I've got to believe that you want eternal life. And He gives all of that when we embrace Him as Savior, but He wants more than that. He wants to be more than a savior. He wants to even be more than a king. He wants to be in a relationship with us where we gain our life and our value and our strength and our fulfillment from him and him alone. And then out of that comes everything else. I said to you last Sunday morning, not a one of you hopefully admitted that you married for money or what you could get out of the relationship, but sadly sometimes we try to pull from our mate what they were never intended to give and we try to find a fulfillment and satisfaction and everything we're looking for in that, and they were never meant to do that. And we'll end up either being disappointed or drain them dry. Some people come to Christ because they've heard Billy Graham preach for the last 65 years, and he talked about heaven, and he talked about hell, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. How do I do that? You invite Jesus in. Raise your hand. Go forward. Sign a card. You're in. I want that, but not a whole lot more. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be sure of that. And I, I remember the day when I did that. And, but you mean there's more? And Jesus would say there's so much more. You see, it's so much more than just simply forgiveness for your sins. So much more than just knowing where you're going to go when you die. All of those things come to us in Jesus. But he wants to be in a relationship with us where it's a delight every day. Not just what he gives or how he answers or the fact that I 
got heaven on the other side. It's a daily, intimate, deep relationship with him that brings absolute joy and delight to my life. For I begin my day in conversation with him. I end my day in conversation with him. I, I get to know him. I'm in his word. I'm trying to find out what he's all about. I'm trying to figure out life. I'm trying to seek his guidance and direction, and I know what it's like to hear his voice. And I know what it's like to be in communion with him, not just simply what we did last week with the bread and the cup, but real conversation with God. And I'm so deeply enjoying that relationship. I got to believe that a lot of you remember what it was like when you first embraced Jesus as your Savior. You couldn't get, wait to get in the Word, couldn't wait to come together as a family of God. You loved the relationships. You loved the relationship you had with Him. You loved the fact that you could read the Word of God and now it began to make, make sense. And you were understanding it, and it was just fun to be in a relationship with God where you could tell Him everything. But maybe somewhere along the way, it's not what it used to be. It's not as exciting. I go through the motions. I serve. I, I go to church. I do my thing. I sing the songs. I really enjoy the music. They're incredible. I, I go to a class. I put money in the offering plate, but just not what it used to be. Now, that may only describe one or two of you in here this morning, but i got to believe every once in a while on a journey with Jesus that it gets like that. And James says, I, I need you to know you've missed it. If you've ever been in a relationship with your mate that continues to grow and mature and you know you've got to have conversations and regular conversations and go out on dates on a regular basis and get to know one another and find out how each other uh, is wired and have those wonderful, incredible times in your journey. And the longer you're married, the more incredible it is. And Connie and I have been together 45 years, and I'm still fascinated when I talk to my mom on Saturday, every Saturday at 66 years, and she said, it's better all the time. I love hearing that. It's the same way with Jesus. That's what he wants it to be. Not just something that I do so that I can get something from him or answer my prayer or have somebody to talk to when I'm going through difficult times, but not on a regular basis. I want to go to church if there's nothing else going on. If it's not a day where I've got 20 other things, I, I want to be there. I really do enjoy it, but it's kind of not what it used to be. And James has been saying that over and over again. And he begins to move us into this final chapter two and he talks to us about those relationships and what that looks like, and he said, I, I've got to be really honest with you, it's not what it used to be. There are some things that have gotten in the way, and you've got to go back to what you want had, which is what he says also in the Word of God to the church of Ephesians. And so if I'm really honest, how do I know? Now, maybe you really do know inside your soul, but let me ask you some questions this morning. If, it, it, how do I really honestly know that God has kind of slipped out of first place in my life? Well, obviously, there's some questions you can analyze and ask yourself, is, is my relationship with God one of the things that I do or the most important thing? How important is church and my spiritual development? Is it a priority or is if we have nothing else going on or it's not an 83 degree, degree day and I, I've got all kinds of things and my kids are in 27 things and we've got to do that, but if none of that other is going on, I want to make sure I'm there. How do you spend your money? You always have to have the best or the next new thing, or have you ever gotten it and find out that it really didn't do what you thought it was going to do? But you thought surely it would, so you got it. What about happens at work if 
others do things that you know probably cross the line and you see it so often and it doesn't seem to matter and they don't pay a price. So you thought, well, everyone else is doing it. What about moral boundaries? Do you have them? Do you know for sure there's some convictions in your life, some lines you won't cross, some things you won't do, some things you used to do but you don't want to do it anymore and you really honestly have cut the ties of that and you know for sure, but maybe for there are some of us who find ourselves slipping back every once in a while. We, we didn't do that for a long period of time, but now I just feel like I'm going a little bit backwards. What about my time and how I use the time? Do I read the Bible regularly? Am I really in the Word of God on a regular basis or just on Sunday morning when I know it's going to be open and I'm going to hear some things from it? Or maybe every once in a while if I've got to share a devotion with somebody or tell them I'm going to be in the Word, I better make sure I do it when I go to small group because they're going to ask me. What about prayer? Is it something that you really want to do on a regular basis or do before meals? What about sin? Does it really bother you? Do you really recognize that you and I have broken the heart of God when we sin? It's not just a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. It really is something that breaks the heart of God, and I don't want to do that. And I want to get back. I understand that God takes it seriously. Matter of fact, so much so in this particular section of Scripture that we're in 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 James when he says, it's adultery. I mean, that's a pretty heavy word, especially if you're married. You understand how violated you would feel if somebody else is in the relationship when you know it was to be exclusive. You made that commitment for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm with you. I'm going to stay with you for the rest of my life. And now somebody else is in that relationship. And God is that serious about slipping out of first place in our life that he calls it adultery. He said, you've let other things get in the way. In the book of Revelation that we'll study after Easter, he says to one of the churches, you guys are really, really busy. You're doing good things. You've got a lot of activities. I I know you don't tolerate wickedness. I I know you've done the best you could. You've persevered. You've endured hardships. You didn't grow up or didn't give up. You're not growing weary. You're really heavily involved doing a lot of good things. But can I be honest with you? You're doing them most of the time for the wrong reason. You're doing them because you have to or you're supposed to or you want to, but you don't feel the depth of that relationship. What you once had with me is not there. And you're missing the essence of what it was all about so that out of that, everything else flows. Your love, your service, your singing, your celebration, the enjoyment of the relationship, out of that, everything else flows. So what do we do? How do we get back to having God first place in our life where... We really want to have what we used to have. James gives us a process here. They're in your sermon notes this morning. Obviously, it begins with humility and repentance. A willingness to submit myself to God, resist the enemy. He's going to flee from us. I come near to God, and he promises he'll come near to us. I wash my hands. I purify my heart. I don't vacillate back and forth. I'm not double-minded. I realize that it's God and God alone that I'll find everything I need. I grieve, and I mourn, and I wail because I recognize what my sin has done. I've changed my laughter into mourning, my joy into gloom. I humble myself before God, and let him lift me up. Submission takes a lot of work. It obviously begins with humility. A willingness to put myself under the authority of God because life comes from Him. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I really believe that He knows what's best for me. 
And so I'm seeking his guidance and direction in every area of my life. Where God, your Lord, your King, and I submit myself to you completely. I realize I'm not my own. I bought with a price. I see that price every time I share communion. And I recognize that you really are looking out for the best for me. And so I submit myself to you completely. And then I have to decide whether I, number one, believe that or not. And secondly, whether I live that way or not. Submit to God means I yield myself to his control because I honestly know that he knows best. Otherwise, I'll play the game, go back and forth, and kind of be somewhat independent, somewhat connected to God, doing my own thing, and when it all falls apart, I seek his face, and God says, you can't keep doing that. You've got to decide who's in charge of your life. Not just for the moment of the day or when it feels good or when I know I need him, but who's in charge of your life every day of your life. You've got to resist the enemy because he's always trying to pull you back. He's trying to pull you back to what you used to be, to what you know you did, to the things that got you in the mess that you're in right now. He's always pulling, always, always dragging, always reminding you of your past. He'll say to you every once in a while, you really have done pretty good so far, but you remember that last time and you said you wouldn't do it again and here you are, you've done it again. He's conniving, he lies. He tells you things about yourself that aren't true. He tells you things about others that aren't true. And you have to decide what you're going to believe. He will tell you, you really will find everything you need in these, these things or those things. He won't tell you the flip side of that. He'll say for the time it looks good, it feels good, it's emotionally well satisfying. But he won't tell you the devastating results of the fact that you've gone down that road and now you can't get out. And you keep going down that road and it's harder and harder to break the hold. Even on little things and big things, even in anger in Ephesians chapter 4 in your sermon notes, you can't let the sun get down upon your wrath while you're still angry because you'll give the enemy a foothold, and the longer the foothold remains, the more difficult it is to break. He is a powerful enemy, First Peter tells us, looking for someone to devour, which means to destroy. Not just to trip up or help them to have a bad day, but literally to destroy, and the deeper you go or the more you go backwards, the harder it is to eventually break free because you'll feel like you'll never, ever make it. It's in obvious things, it's in small things. It's in obvious things like the shooter in the Florida school that was so deeply entrenched in evil and so many demonic voices that he felt like he had to reach out and launch out and destroy in every way he possibly could, which he did forever, destroying those families. And there are others that just simply keep going down a path that they know they don't want to go or backwards to where they used to be, and now they just can't seem to get out or they'll never make it or just simply believe the lie that you've failed so many times you'll never get free. We've said it with our kids. We have to be constantly aware of the junk we allow into our children's lives. I said to you last Sunday morning in the illustration that I gave at the end of the message, who in their right mind would give their 12-year-old a set of keys and say, go on your own, do what you want? But sadly, I see so many give... A 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 10-year-old, and somebody texted me this morning, they saw a baby in a cart with a pacifier and a smartphone in front of them. Everything that's available to them. You know the child's first exposure to pornography in that context comes at age eight. One in seven, they say, send explicit text messages to somebody of the opposite sex. 
We have to be aware of the video games, that all the internet, all the access our children have, what they're watching, what they're doing, what they're bringing into their lives. It is such a draw and so enticing. I can give you the names of, and the list is endless, that we can't allow to keep happening because the enemy just keeps pulling them in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You obviously notice in this context, he says, if you, if you literally say, I am not going to buy that lie, I'm not going to believe that, I'm going to run back into the hands of God. He is waiting there. He will draw near to you, waiting for you to come home. My wife had the opportunity to tape a lot of the Billy Graham funeral, and we watched it that night when we went home. And each one of his children shared, and the one I had not heard from for a long period of time is one who had gone through two divorces. And after the second one, it was such a short period of time, wanting to go back home, she said, do you realize, do you even imagine what it's like after two failed relationships, both that were, my, one of them that was my fault, to have to go back and face Billy Graham? Not just any dad, Billy Graham as a dad. And she said, I drove up that road in North Carolina, and as I got to the cabin where he's living, there he stands with arms wide open and welcomed me home. The enemy will tell you that will never happen. It will never happen with you. You are so deeply entrenched, you'll never get free. And you'll never be welcomed back. But God in his incredible mercy says, I'm telling you, you come near to me, I'll be right there beside you. Which means you've got to get clean. Number three, you've got to quit doing whatever it is. And anyone who knows to do what is right, it doesn't continue to do it for them. It's sin. It could be different for all of us. Either got to quit drinking, quit looking at porn, quit lying, quit trusting in things for our security. We've got to get rid of all the junk, Hebrews tells us, that keeps weighing us down, all the things that keeps holding us back, all the junk we're dragging around. We've got to be really honest. And number four, purify our hearts. We've got to simply decide who is really in charge of my life and where do I get my life from? God or all those other things. Got to be really honest. I've got to mourn and weep. Number five, and not just simply say the word sorry. How many of you have had kids and you're raising them and they get caught in something and you look at them and they've got it all over them. It's pretty obvious that they've done it. And then you confront them with the issue, whatever that issue may be, and go, sorry. And you know they didn't mean it. And how many of you wives or husbands have been in a relationship where things are pretty tense and you're talking about issues and you've got a guy who just simply doesn't want to go to bed angry because you know the Word of God says don't go to bed angry. So he said, sorry, and you know he didn't mean it, but he just wants to go to sleep. God says, I've got to be honest with you. and I want more than just simply saying, sorry. I want you to recognize the pain. That not only you've caused somebody else, but that you've broken my heart. And I love you enough to tell you that. That it's not just a mistake or an error in judgment. It really brings an enormous amount of pain and sorrow to me. And I, it, it will to you. So I don't want you to keep going down that road. I had a pastor friend who years ago, after a moral failure, said to me, Dan, anytime you ever have a chance to share, feel free to share. But he said, you have no idea what it's like as a dad to have to look your daughter in the eye and tell her what you did to your mom. And tell her what you did to her. And if we're really honest, we don't sin generically. 
We sin specifically, so when it comes to confession and being really sorry for what I've done, you need to confess specifically. So many times in our prayer life, God, if there's anything I've done that will displease you, forgive me for that, which is a great prayer, but you're pretty sure you know what it was. God, I, I, I lied. I looked at something, I, didn't, I said it, I, whatever it may be. We need to honestly be humble, verse 10. Submit ourselves to God. Be willing to go back to the beginning of what we once had. Submit and be willing to say, God, I know it breaks your heart, and I know you're there to receive me in. Listening to the story of Graham over the last few days and a couple of weeks, one of those things in character traits that you've probably heard 100,000 times, but it's still fascinating to me of a guy who had that much authority and that much power and that much access to the most powerful people on the planet was known by his humility. And recognize that I'm a poor country boy that grew up on a dairy farm that God called into ministry. And still to this day, everybody kept saying he's the most humble man they've ever met in all their lives with all of that in front of them and all that available to them. God says it begins with humility. It begins to recognize that God is not my life, my money, my time, my plan. It's not my way, it's yours. Now, if we're really honest, if we don't do that in your sermon notes, If we decide that we're not going to submit to God and let Him run our life and let Him lift us up, then who will? You and I will. We'll do it in a couple of ways in your sermon notes. One, we'll put others down. Gives it to us in verse 11. Most of the people who put down their wives or put down their husbands or their kids or their parents or their boss, most people who don't feel good about themselves usually speak against others in an effort to put themselves in a better light. People who put others down do so so they feel better about themselves. I'll never admit it, but it's so true. A second thing that you and I will do if we're not willing to submit ourselves to God is that we will, through personal ambition, try to build our own empire, stand on top of it, and lift ourselves up. Listen. Today, tomorrow, we'll do this, we'll do that. Look at how many times it says, I'll do this, I'll do that. If you aren't willing to humble yourself before God and let Him lift you up, you'll do everything in your own power to lift yourself up. So I have to decide. God, I'm going to run my own life. I love having you around when I need you. I love knowing that you're there when I fall. But in most other cases and with most other things, I'm going to kind of do it my way fitting you in where I can. And maybe some of you here this morning have been doing it your own way for a long period of time, never knowing that God was interested in your life. Or you can say, God, I really understand. Not my life, my money, my career, my way, my plan. I'm not my own. You pay the ultimate price for my life. So I reject the lies. I reject the mistress. I draw near to you. I repent. I really do come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. And whatever dirt you reveal on my hands, every time the Spirit of God tells me I'm drifting back, every time I realize that I've allowed you to slip out of first place in my life, a place that belongs only to you, I'll recognize and be honest about that. I'll humble myself and come before you, not just on a Sunday when I get convicted and maybe even come forward. I'll embrace it as a lifestyle in your sermon notes, a commitment that I made to you like I made to my wife, to you and you alone, no one else. It becomes a daily decision, a willingness to submit, a willingness to run away from the lies of the enemy, to keep my hands pure and my heart clean, to not be flippant about sin, but to understand how it breaks the heart of God. 
If you want to have a great relationship with God, James gives it to us in the clearest possible terms. Humble yourself before the Lord. Until your dying day. Every day. So that it becomes not just a moment in time, but a daily lifestyle decision. For every single day, I submit myself to him. I'm honest about who he is and what he is. And I continue every day to seek his face and to keep him in that rightful place. He said, if you do, I guarantee you, number one, you won't be disappointed. And number two, everything else that flows underneath that will be in the right place. I read a devotion last week that says, nowhere in the Bible have I ever seen where it says God humbles people. Instead, Peter teaches us, and so does James, that we humble ourselves, because if we don't, life will. So it's much more voluntarily, much better to voluntarily admit that we need God's help, because when we do, and then, He will lift us up. I want to play the video that we played just before the message, and then Dave and the team are going to come out and sing, come to the altar. And what I don't want to do is manipulate or manufacture. What I want to do is set the table. And if you recognize this morning there are things that slipped in the way of God, and there are things that have kind of gotten in the way to what you used to have with Him, and you don't want to do that anymore, I'd love to pray with you while they sing. For too long, I've wandered. For too long, I've roamed. I've looked for fulfillment, but found no home. My heart, my soul grieving. I've struggled with believing, buying into all of this deceiving. And the lies keep pouring in. They told me I'd be okay. If I made enough money at the end of the day, if I got that promotion, if I got that new car, if I got that house with that dog in the yard, I'd be fine. But they lied, because somewhere inside, I'm empty. I need more than what I have, and I'm not even looking for material things. I've had enough of that. I need something deeper something real or something that's more than what I'm feeling because right now I'm lost honestly I mean I've heard that Jesus died for me but what does that even mean doesn't everybody die what makes this man so special what makes him what I need what makes his blood more powerful when he bleeds I want to know I want to understand so I'm here on this day to find out I mean, is it true? Did he really raise from the grave? Did he really heal the blind and the lame? Did he really make the world? Did he really calm the seas? If this is true, then he is what I need. So on this day, I choose to believe. Not in a fairy tale, not in a lie, but in hope. In hope that he really did rise. In faith that he is who he says he is. In faith that he rose. In faith he ascended and is preparing us a home. If all this is true, then I want to know him.